0: This is the Talk Theater in Chicago Interview Podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson Weber, and my guest is playwright Mikkel Maher, whose show There Is a Happiness That Morning Is is um, being produced by Theater Ubleck at Victory Gardens. I also talked to Mikkel um, I don't know, maybe a year ago about hunchback variations, which was also done at Victory Garden, um, produced by Theatre Ubleck. And um, I am just a huge fan of this show and of Mickle's work, so I wanted to bring him in and um, talk again. So um, could you just try to briefly describe what the show is for listeners who wouldn't have seen it?
1: The show is about um, the poetry of William Blake and having sex in public. Its two main characters are a pair of lecturers at a small college, somewhere in the wilderness, who have a relationship. They've been in a relationship, a um, romantic relationship, for for many years. And for reasons that become apparent in the play, they've had sex out on the lawn of the campus in full view of everyone the evening before the play begins. And the play begins in the morning um, with Bernard's lecture class on the Songs of Innocence, uh, Blake's famous... Um, Poems, and uh, in the afternoon, Ellen, his partner, uh, lectures on the Songs of Experience, the the, the paired volume that uh, Blake wrote separately from Songs of Innocence, but eventually published together in one book that we know as the Songs of Innocence and of Experience. There, the 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 drama of the play, such as it is, is that the both lecturers have been asked to apologize convincingly in their classrooms um, and publicly to. To try to repair the damage that's been done by, by this scandalous act.
0: Where did you start? Did you start with the idea of lectures? Did you start with the idea of the poems? Where did you start? I
1: started with the idea of sex. Um, I wanted to write a, 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 really sexy play. I wanted to write a play about sex and about romance and about broken hearts and, and love. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write, and then the, so that was the first impulse and I remember Speaking at some dinner somewhere with, when it was just a, an idea, I was speaking with a couple of other writers, um, and saying, yeah, I just have this, I just want to write about sex in public and them just being like, how would you even, right. how, that doesn't? that seems really hard, but then, and sex in public is one of those, is one of those things that it, um, if it's not handled exactly right, I think is, um, feels utterly implausible or, just like a a gimmick or something. But it you know, it is uh once you start digging into it, I mean right around the same time we premiered a couple of years ago, um, the month before we opened the Northwestern um scandal happened with a lecture, with a lecturer with do you remember this? No. He had a lecture and it was an optional lecture and he was teaching some class in sexuality. I don't remember the name of the class. Um and he had it was an optional lecture that the students could come to and it was a couple of he had brought in a couple of, um, sex experts or sex workers or some people, I think people who sold, anyway, they had some special devices and they used them, uh, special, um, sex toys and they used them, they used them like they're supposed to be used, uh, graphically and people were naked and, um, and it was a scandal. It was a huge scandal on Northwestern. This happened just a couple of years ago. first, oh, wow, really? the, the university was like, we're standing behind him, you know, mm-hmm. academic freedom. And then just, I guess, the the alums just <laughs> you know made the phone calls and the president said, you have to, you have to apologize to you. This isn't totally inappropriate. And,
0: and so... Wait, no, so had that, that happened before you wrote this or after or during? No, no, that during? happened.
1: Uh, it was funny. I had been working on this play for a couple of years mm. and um, a month before we opened, that happened. Wow. So a lot of people who don't really understand that it actually does take some time <laughs> to write a play... Um, or it takes me some time to write a play. Like, oh, you're so you you must have heard so topical, that thing. Yeah, right? Yeah, you just open this play just like right. that About, um, I've never had any particular desire to have sex in public, but I've, I'm interested in. And once I thought of it um, as as a subject for a play, I did notice that this is something that people are interested in. Uh-huh. That it, it, it's like the inappropriate places to have sex is a constant topic of conversation.
0: I would say, as having seen it, though, that that's clearly crucial as the setup, but yeah. doesn't actually seem to me what the play is about in the end. It's True. the situation, and certainly sex is part of what the play yeah. is about. Um, but anyway, be that as it may, that was my my reaction. I would say it's much more about love and some yeah. other things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so... So you start with this premise and then somehow you end up with Blake and these two particular characters and this particular situation and writing it in poetry. How does, how does, how does all that happen when you go from this one little idea of I'm going to write about people behaving inappropriately in public and you end up where you end up? Can you at all describe how that happened with this play?
1: Um, it's a, it's a process of painful accumulation and, and shedding of Things that don't work, you get attached to certain certain ideas, and they're unfortunate ideas that eventually have to be jettisoned. Blake was a late comer to the play. Oh. I had to ask myself what what are their topics of um, what's what's their specialty? What do they lecture in? And for a while, um, uh, Bernard was an expert on, on the Scottish play, and um, Ellen was a
0: we're into theater,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Ellen was a expert on mummification. So for a long time I was uh-huh. just wandering around doing all this research on mummification and ancient Egypt and, and all that. And it was really interesting. And, then, and you get into that stuff and it's you get quite attached. Mm-hmm. So there's somewhere on my desktop there's these long...
0: Which will come into some long, other place no, someday. They're, they're, no, they, they're dead. Uh,
1: that stuff, no, I, would, I would love that to happen, but it never does. They, uh-huh. always, they just sit there and um, gather uh, virtual dust. Um, but uh, um, when I thought of Blake, it, then it seemed an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think of Blake until I'd gone through a number of other gates um, first. To talk about every poem in that in that series would be impossible, so I had to choose which poems they would talk about, and I frankly I just chose the ones that were shortest, mm-hmm. which turned out to be actually the best poems that they could talk about. Um, so that that happened, in, um, and I and I actually was working. I worked out a whole entire draft um that uh was supported by the Goodman, uh, they the Tanya Palmer down oh. there um and uh supported a, a a reading of it. And they did a great job and they and they and they rehearsed um, you know, for three or four days and it was they did a wonderful job and but at the end of it with the reading I could just tell it wasn't it wasn't very good. It just didn't it mm. didn't um didn't work. I mean it was fine. Everybody said, Oh that's you know that's good. Right. You know? But um it really, I it was one of those moments where you realize you've worked very hard on something and it just doesn't, it doesn't fly. And, you, and what do I have to do to fix it? Because we had already contracted with uh, the DCA and the storefront theater and we were going to put this play in there. And the
0: we there is Theater Huble. Theater Ublech.
1: Ublech. Yeah. And I had to rewrite it and, and somehow make it work and I couldn't figure out what to do and that's when, um, decided to do it in rhyme huh. and that for whatever reason um just it did the trick it was there was a thing that that pulled out all the um, the imagery and the and the thought and the rhetoric that i that i needed to make the characters actually um sing and um, be uh impactful uh-huh. so or I, or I hope but that, that that they felt that way to me um they didn't feel that way before. Can
0: you say any more about what didn't work? Can you say it was too?
1: It wasn't. Uh, I don't. Or is it just it one of those flat. mysterious yeah, things? Yeah, just, it just didn't lift. And it didn't. There was no. Um, none of the ideas in the lectures really had any had any spark. They didn't. For the lecture play to work, the ideas actually have to be. The ideas of the person who's lecturing. I believe that they have to be compelling. A lecture has to work as a lecture.
0: So, did you completely change the points of view that? No. The
1: so they, so there was a, it was kind of like if you have a hat. like it was half baked. The first thing was half baked, um, to use a stale, <laughs> to, use, <laughs> to use a stale, um, bread metaphor. <laughs> um, it's half, it was a half baked idea, like you, you're looking at, like you have a vague idea in your head. You say, that seems like a good idea. And you're sort of talking to yourself in that mental ease that you have, you know, that mm-hmm. there's, it feels like a good idea in your head and it's, but the, the words aren't quite joined together and that's what writing is. You pull that, you pull at that cloud inside your head and you pull, pull it down to the page. And my problem was I was pulling that cloud down from my head and it was remaining a cloud in the page. It just was, mm-hmm. it just wasn't something that had the power of language. If you're talking about Blake and you have two characters who are impassioned enough to, to To have sex in public, to talk about Blake for 15 years, they have to sing. They have Mm. to have words that really, that feel somewhere beyond just ordinary speech and even ordinary, an ordinary lecture. They, they have to approach spoken song and, um, that people have to feel that they are hearing something that is, is elevated language, but that still is grounded in, in, um, in everyday language, <clears throat> which I think is is actually the trick of all theater that, that, all, that all theater is attempting to square that circle, and um, it's tricky with rhyme uh, because you, you get the, the all the pleasures of rhyme are in its artificiality, and it's, it is pure. It's a pure construct. It's a, the pleasure just comes from these two sounds that sound the same. Isn't that interesting? It has nothing to do with sense. It's all sound. Right. Um, so you know you're hearing a game when you're hearing rhyme. But at the same time, if you, if you use, if you have certain really good actors and you employ enjambment and, and other, and, or slant rhymes and so forth, you can, you can play with the rhyme so it, so it hovers between what is constructed speech and what is, what is natural speech.
0: Right. Um, we talked before about the Ublek method. Mm-hmm. Um, which is no director, and uh, to me, even more interestingly than that, that the that the actor gets the final word. Right. Um, when you're working on a script, and if an actor's, and you tell me if I've got this right, because this has been a while since we talked about it, but if you're working on a script and you come in and an actor says, no, I can't say that, I wouldn't say that, um, unless you can persuade them that they could or they should, they, they don't have to.
1: Right. Actor is called actor's prerogative, is the name we gave to it 25 years ago.
0: Um, so in this particular script, what were the things that the actors uh, pushed back on, and who won? <laughs>
1: well, it's not so much. Um, it's at this point in the process, twenty-five years in, um, we all know each other very, very well. It's secondhand to us at this point, and we we feel it's not. It's um, it's no big deal. It's, it's just no what deal. you do. Yeah, you right. just, you, everybody just goes out. You do your do- you do your job, and you work it out. The, the as a playwright, what's most important to me is that you're you're working. With Ublek, um, you're working, um, you're forced to work very intimately with the actors. You, there's no buffer between you and them. Because um, there's no director. Right. There's no director. And sometimes that, and I use the word buffer. There's probably a better word. Um, there's probably a, a nicer word, but sometimes there, the director does just act as a buffer right. between you and the, and the actor in, in other productions. Sometimes they work as a great conduit and you can, and you actually, it's a third voice in the room that's, that's steady and smart and intelligent. And I enjoy that process. With Ublek, you are you, but that's just removed. we better or we're ill. That is removed, and right. you and you have to, as the playwright, work as the as the chief lobbyist for your vision, for your your precious golden vision. And you, you know, and and the, and everybody's aware of that. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that if there's a problem with a line, you guys have to work it out. That the actor and the playwright have to sit down and and put their antlers together right. and, and figure it out. And um, so I'm, it makes me puts me on my toes as soon as we're in rehearsals. I am very Conscious of if the, if I even sense that the actors are having a trouble with a line or they mm-hmm. don't get it or something, they don't have to come to me and say, I'm changing this and we have to big fight. Then it, it, it's, I think everybody is very sensitive to, to the process as we go along. Mm-hmm. The, the hardest part of the process, I think, for a lot of actors is you, is you, once you get towards closer to the opening, we start to bring in more outside eyes. Mm-hmm. So you have a number of people giving you notes. Um,
0: and, and they're giving acting notes not just giving, literary giving, notes yeah they're
1: giving notes uh, to, across the board to everything we we bring in people and say just just tell us what you think mm-hmm. everything from lights to costumes to actors to you know whatever and um and oftentimes almost always in that process you're going to get contradictory notes and right. those are always the most interesting cuz then you have to you have to decide maybe there's something there's some truth between those two notes or there's one is just completely face mm. but you still have to that the voice of that wrong note quote unquote the wrong note is always in your head still and um mm. you have to grapple with it the idea with that is that you that that's that is the process of theater you are dealing with a great right. mind you are you are as an actor as a playwright as a theater maker you are you are trying to engage not a single person a director or a critic or or your mom or whoever you you are direct you are directing your efforts towards a uh, an audience this mysterious audience creature so might as well in the rehearsal process start boiling up whatever gears inside your head help you with that right. um, and just get just accept the fact of it it's it, it is a fact you you are you're, you're your work on stage is trying to communicate to To people who will have contradictory notions about what it is that they're experiencing.
0: You still haven't answered my question, which was where did the actors push back? And where were things that you had to adjust because at least initially they didn't think they worked? Are there any specifics you could suggest?
1: There was there were some specific suggestions for um, additions, a few additions mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily come from the actors. I don't, I mean, they're, they're probably going to correct me on this. In the, in the don't case. you remember? I <laughs> don't remember any, this has to change. This doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. What I remember, the interesting part of the process that would, was, I think, different than, than a, uh, theater with a director. Um, there was an interesting, how do we approach rhyme? Mm. Um, and we had a few discussions about it, but the way Diana approached it and the way Column approached it were, I think, kind of opposite. Mm-hmm. Column really wanted to know exactly where the line breaks were and be, and, and sort of honor them and just, and have that as part of his memorization and rehearsal process that he is, he is going into this and he's super aware of the line breaks. And Diana immediately just took the whole text and, um, cut and pasted it into a document so it just came out as prose. So uh-huh. she could read it as a sentence. And I had actually, you know, suggested that that was a, something, something, you might want to do because um, I didn't know what's the what the best way to do it was or how it would best sound. So they sort of approached it differently. Um, and I remember at one stage in the rehearsal, I mean, the, the goal was always we don't want to sound sing songy. Mm-hmm. You don't you want to get away from from that because that's not how it's actually written. And you don't you want to be able to speak it um, as naturally. You know, have that have mastery of it enough so you can speak it naturally. But you also want to have the mastery so you can hit that rhyme when you want to. Right. And and where you hit that rhyme is very important. And I remember at one point in the rehearsal, and I don't remember, at one point, Cullen was getting more notes like, oh, that sounds, you're sounding sort of sing-songy there. That sounds more like Dr. Seuss, and you got to work on that. And Diana was just flying by, not getting those notes at all. And then there was one point in the rehearsal later on where it switched, and people were huh. like, Diana, you know, it's kind of sounding sing-songy, is Anyway, that was my memory of it. Uh-huh. Then uh-huh. they both, you know, they both got it eventually. But I think they arrived at that point of, of facility with the lines, uh, facility with rhyme and verse in uh, from opposite from ends, opposite basically from yeah. different ways. Which is really mm-hmm. interesting to me that that you can you can approach it in different ways and end are,
0: up in the same place, yeah. right? Um, and just one more question about the process. You've talked about the actor having, you know, the prerogative on a line. Is there anything more than that? Is oh, absolutely it so, can they what costume it, everything, yeah, but not story, not
1: well. They, um, yeah, they don't. It, yes, not, uh, if they decide to take out a whole monologue, they can change the story that way. But that's never happened. Uh-huh. But you, the, yeah, the, uh
0: but yeah, it's it's sort of a theoretical uh, yeah. issue, not an actual hasn't, one. Hasn't
1: mm-hmm. the, I mean, if you're getting to that point, you probably you probably want to scrap the whole thing. Right, you're probably, <laughs> probably not in a very good
0: place. It's a very, um, pragmatic approach, I think, and it, there, there can be a preciousness in the theater. It seems to me it's, a, it's a good antidote for that. Mm. But it, it certainly seems like it could have hazards, and it becomes critically important who your actors are. Yeah. It's,
1: yeah, it's, it's the actor, but I mean, that's, I think the method, uh, or our procedure, um, highlights that. Mm-hmm. You better have, you, you have to have actors who are supremely self-confident. When we did, Punchback variations, we were really worried because we were bringing in these two, these two guys from the musical theater world. Right. People who do musicals of Marriott and, and sort of make their living doing highly directed work. You know, work, commercial theater work. We thought, oh, you know, we're this ragtag fringe group with this stupid process. They're just gonna be thrown for a loop and just, be, where is my, you know, where is my director where's right. where's the person who's in charge and, and they weren't at all because they they're professionals for a reason they they make their living as theater makers and performers because they have a very um, confident, assured sense of them of their choices mm-hmm. and so even if their choices so they can so they can sit through a note session where people are giving them contradictory notes right. and a playwright is saying oh you know maybe you should think about doing it this way and they, and they can say you know no i'm I actually know what I'm doing. And right. Or they, are they're, they're confident enough to listen and even change. Right. And, and so that's, so you have talented people, nine times out of ten, they're not prima donnas and they're not, you know, nervous wrecks. They're people who are just very confident
0: about. They're craftspeople yeah. and, yeah. yeah. But what it all presupposes that they get it, which.
1: Right. They, you have to get it and that's, um.
0: Which that's, you usually rely on the director to do and then maybe yeah. teach I, the actors. I
1: don't even know how to direct. I, see, that's just seems, that seems, more Rube Goldbergian to me. Like, uh-huh. You either get it or you don't. Come into the, you know, like, like the playwright should, should, I, I just, I don't, I feel I have a good track record of, of knowing who would have a good voice for my work. Cause I go out and see shows or I work with certain actors. It's just, there's no, there's no getting it because they already get it. You right, know? I think right. the rhyme kind of threw them a little bit. That was kind of an odd, like new, I wanted them to get it faster. I remember uh-huh. the first reading I thought, that I'd rewritten into rhyme the first, <clears throat> The first part of the play, and I thought, this is the best. Uh, this is so good. <laughs> I brought Diana and Cullum over to my house, and I was like, I have this reading, and they're going to be on the floor with laughter and tears, and it's going to be so amazing. And we're, and they, you know, they just sort of stumbled through uh-huh. it, and it's really <laughs> sing songy, and none yeah. of the jokes worked, and yeah. none of the clever, you know, nothing worked. And I was just like, ah. <sighs> Right, right. You <laughs> don't get it. I'm a misunderstood. But that's a
0: different experience than when you knew it was flat with the Goodman yeah. reading, which is, I don't know how you know that difference, but clearly you, you do. Yeah, if
1: people, you want, yeah,
0: you can tell. You had um, uh, Hunchback went to New York, mm-hmm. was off Broadway, and The Stranger mm-hmm. went to New York. Um, what's good about going to New York?
1: um a lot of things. It's uh, the uh, new audiences um, getting out of your own ecosystem, so you can see if a play works in front of um, uh, an audience that isn't filled with your your fan base, your fan base, right. um, And that's so it's scary and, and challenging. Um, I, you know, as a playwright, you, it, the theater these days, and I, I suppose forever, has always been it's not a it's not something that like Unlike music, or cinema, or film, doesn't travel uh, as much. It doesn't break out of its pool. Um, right. You have you have your your zone, and but you don't have a way of showing other people around the world exactly what it is you do, unless you actually go and do it. Right. Um, with music, you can send them a CD, and that is a pretty good approximation of what you do with, with cinema. You can send it's them a it. film right. or a DVD. Right. And, and it is it is what you do. With theater, you're sending them a video or, or a DVD of, of something you shot. And the theater doesn't. It's not it's not a fair approximation. It's almost sometimes an anti document of, of what it is right. that theater does. Right. So so that we have these these pockets of of theater throughout the world, throughout America, that it's very frustrating to to know that there's there's brilliant stuff happening in Minneapolis or Indianapolis or Omaha you know Austin or wherever you just know if you just google around a little bit you know there's like people excited about stuff happening everywhere right. that you'll never see and and never get you'll never get you know you can watch it on YouTube or whatever but you'll never get it and and so it's exciting so it's out of that frustration it's exciting to go and to take your take your stu- your own stuff and do it anywhere else and have people come and uh, see if it works so that's that's you know New York itself there's no um, I don't I, I'm ex- as excited to have my stuff done in Houston or San Francisco or wherever. Or
0: um, and you've and you've had where else have you had productions besides New York?
1: Um, Houston, uh, Austin, San Francisco, Milwaukee, Hamburg. Um, oh, cool! London, Helsinki. You know, so different people have done.
0: Have you gone to, for instance, when it was in London? Did you no, go?
1: No, no, I didn't. Um, and nor ne, I've never seen my work overseas when I do it there. Uh-huh. Um, I'm waiting for someone with a big, big enough budget to fly me. Right. But um, uh, was, I've have seen productions in Milwaukee and, and Houston. And that's that's just a it's a lot of fun to see other people do your work and, and do a good job with it. Yeah. Um. It's it feels much more precious gift like when that happens. Um. Because it is, I do write. I, I do write odd plays. I don't. Um, I am not a famous Hollywood film director, so I'm not. So the idea of myself actually being in a different um, theater ecosystem is really exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. I've thought that um, the way you work, and in some weird way, not not your plays, but I guess the idiosyncrasy Idiosyncrasy of your plays is maybe a little bit like Carol Churchill, who also, I believe, works with actors in a very, you know, development way. It doesn't just sit at her desk.
1: She's constantly, I mean, she's the most, she's the most brilliant playwright I think we have in the world today. Um, so thank you for (laughs) (laughs) thinking of her. Yeah, same sentence as Carol Churchill. Um, and she is, constantly reinventing the wheel not sure how old she is but she doesn't slow down her her i was actually just reading her um 2006 play i think that i don't think i've seen produced over here it's called drunk enough to say i love you right but the dialogue is just it's um it's so it's just the most it's like all fractured sentences and i it's very hard to she doesn't give any stage directions and it's just very, very hard to imagine how they did it, and yeah. how how you would even approach it. It's just a wonderful challenge, and and it's like for someone to write something that interesting um, at that stage in her career is just is just is brilliant.
0: Right. What are you? F- what do you feel are your own limitations that you're trying to push up against as you're becoming a more mature writer?
1: Um that's a good question i don't think those limitations have changed I, i'm uh i since i've started using rhyme in my work um that is a limitation that i've set on myself mm-hmm. and it's a difficult one it takes a long the process is a long it takes a long time you, if you're working in rhyme the rhyme demands of, of you a certain patience um with every every piece of dialogue you can spend an hour literally I spent this morning I was writing and um, I think I wrote two lines of dialogue and I'm searching for the right rhyme for R you know Mm -hmm. that's going to take I know I'm not going to get it I have to go uh, work tonight um, teach and uh, I'm not going to be able to work on it so I'll probably wake up tomorrow and spend two hours or that, change like, R to something yeah, else. Yeah, change R to something else, but that, <laughs> right. it'll take two hours right. to do that. So it right. takes, so that's, that's a, that's a
0: painstaking
1: pain's, Yeah, so that's a limitation, but that's, I like that kind of limitation because it feels like a limitation of, of the material, the craft. It feels like mm-hmm. you're, you're working on a very difficult piece of marble or something and you're just gotta find its right, the right chisel point, um, for it. Um, other limitations, I suppose, are, are just, keeping interested
0: i think i'm asking a different question i i'm imagining that you look at somebody's work and you say oh god i wish i could do that i wish there's something that i know i'm not that good at that i wish i could do better maybe that's not true maybe you just know where your talent is and where it
1: diminishes with age i mean not i just i feel like i've got my own thing going on so the the jealousy or the um frustration at not being carol churchill uh I think I had that
0: more when I was. And now you're 30. just doing, yeah, no, just and resi- getting pretty good at I'm resigned. that.
1: <laughs> I'm resigned to it. Um, uh-huh. You know, sometimes I wish I could, you know, write a wonderful screenplay that would, you know, be a great romantic comedy and make lots win of money. An Oscar, yeah. And is
0: the only reason you wish that is because it would no, uh, make because you money? I love
1: those. I love, I love movies, and you know, yeah, it would it'd be great to be Charlie Chaplin. Or, you know a great entertainer and not an oddball Uh Uh, but that's just the way i'm wired i don't i I can't think i've tried you know to to write a you know what would you you
0: know more commercial more straight up not a more
1: commercial play but uh, yeah i've thought you know fantasized about actually writing a screenplay that was really you know just a great love story right and um i think those things have have value and and I'm not writing this way because of some perverse choice I've made. I'm writing this way because this is actually how my mind works. This is what I do. Yeah, this is what I do, and yeah. I and I can't, yeah, I can't think in any other way. Um, so that I mean, so that's a roundabout answer to your question. If mm-hmm. I see a playwright who is doing, I mean, who's who's doing something that I can't do. I, I just well, that's just because that's who they are. That's that what they. That's, 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 what that's what they how do. They think. Right. But I'm. I'm I feel pretty confident that I'm speaking in the voice that's mine. I'm speaking, mm-hmm. I'm, sp- I mean, true to my, to my voice. I'm not, I'm not trying to be someone who am not, um, you know, I get frustrated like any, any playwright, you you want your play to do a certain thing and maybe it's not doing that. And that's frustrating, but mm-hmm. you just can't take until it does what you want or what you think it's supposed to do. And that's just time. Um,
0: have you ever had one that you just couldn't get there? Oh
1: yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and those just don't ever see the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I had never thought about this, but it's true that the theater, in some ways, is less kind to oddball artists than other medium, and that you know you can find your audience through the internet now, yeah. as quirky as you are in anything that works in a in a digital format. But that's not true of the theater. Right. Hence, New York and Austin, and <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, woe is me, an oddball playwright. <laughs> well, no, I don't feel that. I mean, I I think you're right. Theater has a harder time because we we're transitory, and we you know it's um if you if you make a really brilliant oddball play that nobody gets on the first go around, mm-hmm. it's not coming back. But you can make you can you can compose a brilliant piece of music that nobody gets on the first time, but
0: Someone starts big, listening you know, to, and someone yeah. says, "Hey, did you hear this?" Yeah, and exactly. yeah, right. right. It can,
1: it can right. simmer for a while, it can steep for a while in the in the cultural consciousness, and right. theater doesn't. Do you don't get as many second acts?
0: Right, right. Well, um, thanks so much for joining me to talk both about um, there is a happiness that morning. No, is. That's it. I can't get myself to say that second is. And just your work in general. Thanks a lot.